All right, well, it's good to see you in church tonight. Um, take your Bible with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you would, 2 Peter chapter 3. I've been refreshed these past couple of weekends with you, refreshed by your, by your spirit, and I appreciate your, your friendliness and your faithfulness to be where you need to be. Um, we just appreciate the Lord, how good he is, right? He's a faithful God. Sunday night was always my favorite night to be in church. I don't know how, how you feel, but Sunday night's always been my favorite. It seemed like at our church, the, the church just really grew, and I think it's just because um, I enjoyed Sunday nights, or Sunday night services just kind of grew. Um, it's always good when the pastor enjoys being in church, you know, but um, I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad we have the opportunity to open the Word of God together and uh, be instructed. Think about what your life would be like uh, if the church wasn't a part of it. Just, just think about the, the influence that this place has had on your family over the years. Sometimes we just don't think about it. We don't think about the influence it's had on our marriage, maybe our attitude, you know, we all struggle with sin, don't we? We all we have issues that we're dealing with, and most all of us don't know the things that each one of us are dealing with, but we all have it. And think about the influences that this place has had in your personal life, your walk with God. It'd be profound if we really just thought about it. There's great value in, in the fellowship. There's value in being together. There's value in being able to open the Word of God freely. Aren't you glad that it's in our language and uh, we didn't have to die for it? Our forefathers, many of them gave their life so that we could have this. And uh, we have the liberty and the opportunity, and it's just a wonderful privilege to open the Bible together. Let's never lose that. Never lose the, the, the wow and the wonder of being able to come together and fellowship around the Word of God. Hey, it's the Bible that changes lives. The, the church is just a place we get to meet, but it's the Word of God that changes lives. Well, Second Peter chapter 3, we've read the, the reading today. And uh, this is just a great passage of Scripture. I was going to preach something different to you tonight, but this afternoon the Lord uh, just kind of led me back to this. And so I pray this would be an encouragement to you because, brethren, we, we just need to be encouraged sometimes in our life. And uh, we just need to be refreshed and reminded about some things that we already know. Um, there, there was a time I remember back in the day when I was in school. And, you know, when, you, when you're going through mathematics, that's not my strong suit, okay, but... When you're going through maths and you're sort of in, in that process in your high school years, everything builds on it, doesn't it? You're in grade 8, and then grade 9 builds on what you learned in 8, and grade 10 builds on it, and, and it's just absolutely maddening for somebody who doesn't get math. But if you're one of those math people here today, God bless you, but that wasn't my strength. And so, you know, it was always frustrating because I had to go back to what I learned in grade 8 so I could figure out what I was doing in grade 11. You know, that's a hard place to be. But in life, in the spiritual life, often... Uh, God reminds us of the things that we knew way back when and just says, I'm going to remind you of these truths. You need to be refreshed in these truths uh, because sometimes, brethren, we lose our way. We lose our bearings. Uh, we, we forget what it is God said was going to happen down the road. And listen, if we know anything from the Word of God, we know this, that it is, among other things, it's a book of God telling us what's coming down the road. And he wants us to remember those things. And so oftentimes he refreshes our mind. And so I want you to notice in the very first verse of 2 Peter chapter 3. We didn't read it, but let's read it together now. Here's what Peter says. He says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. You know what Peter's saying? Here he is about to pass off the scene. 
Last week, we went into the, to the first part of this book as, as uh, we talked about some things last Sunday morning. But if you recall, Peter is at the end of his journey here. It's been a long way from the time he denied Christ. It's been a long journey of Peter's life and ministry now. And these, these years have passed by of faithful service to the Lord. And as an old man, he's passing off the scene. And now as he closes off this final thought, here's what he says. I, I just want to remind you about a couple of things because we're prone to forget. It's too easy for us to forget. And Peter says, I don't, I don't want you to forget this because I'm going to pass on. But remember this, and he said in verse number two, I want you to be mindful of the words that the Lord spoke. Hey, how different would our life be if we were mindful of what the Lord said? Sometimes we're forgetful, and God says, no, no, I want you to be mindful. I think that's the value of meditating. That's not the message tonight, but it's the value of meditating on Scripture. Um, There's great value in you and I spending quiet time with no distractions, and your mobile phone is in another planet where you are just sitting there with, with nothing but you and God, and you're meditating on the truth of Scripture. You know, a good time to do that is when you're on a drive, like our brother talking about on his motorcycle. Yeah, you got to make sure you're not meditating so much you, you, you miss your turn, all right? But it's good to just spend time uh, meditating, being mindful of what the Lord has spoken. And so I want to talk to you tonight about something that I've observed in my life and I've observed in ministry uh, with other believers. I think we're all common in this. It's Sometimes we have a tendency to drift as believers. Sometimes we have a tendency that if we're not tethered to something uh, and we're not living intentionally, we'll just drift away from where we ought to be. There's a lot of Christians that drift, and it's not that they intended on getting into sin, and it's not that they intended on walking away from God. It's not that they had an intent one morning when they woke up, woke up and just said, well, I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'm going to abandon everything I ever learned. It, it's not really that a lot of believers intended on doing that. It's just a, a slow process in their life. And they wake up one day and said, I've drifted from where I ought to be. So I want to preach to you tonight out of this chapter about an intentional life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity now to open the scriptures. And in one sense, Lord, it's a blessing that I don't know anybody's life. Holy Spirit, you do. You know the the failures of our life. You know the inconsistencies of our life. The things we struggle with. You know that many of us, if not all of us, are in some way consumed with the cares of this life and not even bad things and wrong things, but Lord, just the necessary things of life that just seem to occupy so much of our attention. And tonight, would you please, Lord, draw our hearts and attention back to the scriptures and ultimately, Lord, that we would see Christ, that we'd understand our purpose, we'd remember some things that maybe we've forgotten and uh, by the end of the time that we spend together tonight that we would be just invigorated, that we would be revived a bit in our spirit to get up and get out and do the thing that you've given us to do while we're in this life. Thank you for life, the blessing and privilege of knowing Christ. Help us to walk worthy of that vocation and that calling tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, drop down to verse number 10 then. There's many things that Peter talked about here, but I want you to to go down with me to to verse number 10. And actually, verse number 9 is really where we should start here. Uh, Peter says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. We oftentimes will use this verse when we're talking about witnessing to people and talking about the long-suffering of God and the the desire that God has to win uh, win people to himself. But I want you to notice it says that the Lord is not slack 
concerning his promises the way that some men count slackness. In other words, this. God is long-suffering with the world, and God has a tendency to say things in Scripture that this, this is what I think or this is what's going to happen, but then sometimes there'd be a whole span of life where it doesn't actually happen. Sometimes there could be 20 or 30 or 50 years or maybe generationally, and, and sometimes believers will look at this and say, well, now, the Bible said this, but it hasn't happened yet, and we have a tendency to accuse God and say, well, God, you're slack about your promises. And what God is saying to us is, I see things differently than you see things. And my timing is different than your timing, which is why he said uh, the day of the, the, a day with the Lord is, it could be a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And so we would count time in a very different way than God would count time. And so God's essentially saying in this passage, I will fulfill the thing that I said I was going to fulfill. I'm not slack in my promises. We understand the things that have not yet been fulfilled in Scripture. They will be fulfilled in Scripture. Isn't that right? We believe the Bible. We believe all of the Bible, don't we? And though it hasn't been fulfilled in our generation, it's going to be fulfilled one day. That is faith in the revealed Word of God. And so what he's saying here is now, I want you to understand some things that are coming. He said the day, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Verse number eight. So he says this in verse number nine then. I'm long suffering, God is saying. Uh, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I like that little word all. God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That was you before you got saved. That's your next door neighbor. That's a guy down the street. That's a lady you work with. God is interested in the souls of men. He wants all to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. So I want you to notice what he says then in verse number 10. He says, but. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now hang on. I want you to understand that this is Peter that's talking. And in the very first chapter of the first book of Peter, Peter is talking about those that have been saved. In the, the second book that he wrote, this one that we're in here, he's talking to the same group of people, to those that have obtained like precious faith. Peter's talking to believers. And Peter's saying, I, I just want you to understand something in verse number 10, that the day of the Lord is going to come. And it's going to come as a thief in the night. And then he talks about the heavens passing away with this great noise and the elements are melting with a fervent heat. All right, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about a future judgment. Peter's talking to believers now, but he's saying, I want you to remember now that God said to us that there is coming a day to this planet that we live on that there will be a future judgment. He's speaking to believers. He says, this is a future thing, but mark it down, it's going to happen. This is not meant to be a threat to you and I because we understand from the Word of God we're not going to be here for this. Uh, we have been delivered from this. And yet Peter said, I want to remind you that there is a future judgment coming to this world. Now, I think there's probably two reasons he does this. I think, first of all, for you and I, that we would remember that we shouldn't get too attached to the things of this life. We just, all of us, have this tendency to want to put roots deep down into this world. And we get so consumed with the things of this world. It's all about the next purchase and it's all about the next house. And it's all about these things that are necessary in this earthly life. But brethren, they have no bearing on eternity at all. And sometimes we forget the pilgrim character of the child of God. We have been called strangers and pilgrims. You know what a stranger is? A stranger doesn't belong here. And a pilgrim is just passing through. 
And Peter is saying, I want you to remember here now and understand that there is a future judgment coming to this world that you live in. And it's by way of reminder that we shouldn't get too attached to the stuff of this life. Brethren, we're supposed to lay up treasure in heaven and not down here. It doesn't mean you can't have a nice house. It doesn't mean you can't drive a Mercedes. It doesn't mean that you can't have the things that, that are in this life. God gives these things richly to us to enjoy, and we thank the Lord for them. But listen, we don't put our affection on those things. That shouldn't be our passion and our priority of life. It should be the Lord Jesus Christ and spiritual things. Isn't that what Jesus said in the book of Matthew? But seek ye first the kingdom of God. First, by way of priority. And his righteousness. And then the Lord says, I'll add all that stuff to you. Don't pursue that. Peter's saying, I just want you to understand there is a future judgment coming. So don't get too attached. The things that you have and the house you live in, somebody else is going to own them one day. It's going to be down at the salvos one day when you die. If it hadn't worn away and rotted and gotten moth-eaten by this time, every now and then you'll drive down the road and you'll see a, you'll see a big truck and it'll have a bunch of flattened cars on it going to scrap. That's the car you and I drive. And we, yet we put so much time and effort and money and energy and attention into the stuff of this life. And I believe the Lord is just trying to remind us, hey, there's a judgment coming to this world, so don't get too attached here. By the way, I'm really glad for the stuff that God gives me, but I'm glad this isn't the end of all of it. I'm glad I have something on the other side. And so he's talking about this judgment, but, but the Bible reveals something to us, not just in this passage, but many other places through Scripture, that Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth again, but this time in judgment. And what he's talking about here is this day of the Lord, this day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Paul talked about this also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You see, the day of the Lord, as it's in this context here, is the return of the King of Kings. No longer is he the, the meek Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. Oh no, he's coming now in a very different form. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's coming back in judgment and in justice. And that's what Peter is saying. That day is coming to this world. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 19... Can I read you just a little bit about what's coming? John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's coming to this world. Oh, it's not a cute little story. It's not a fairy tale. It's the Word of God. And the Bible makes it very clear that the unsaved of this world are condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire. Again, in Revelation in chapter 20, the very next chapter, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We need to understand that there is a judge. God calls him the righteous judge, the judge of all the earth. And he will one day pronounce his judgment upon this world. And Peter is saying, listen, believer, I want you to understand something. I'm about to pass on now. And I've run my race. And it's already been showed me my manner of death. And I'm going to that place. But I want you to understand something. That when I die and when I'm gone, there are things you need to remember. And don't forget that God is going to judge this world. Don't forget you shouldn't get too attached to this world. 
I don't forget your character as a pilgrim passing through this world. And you have another country, a better country. Hey, listen, a heavenly country. It's something on the other side of this world. So listen, enjoy the life God's given you. Serve the Lord, raise your family, do the things that it's, there's, there's nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, Solomon said. It's the gift of God. But don't get too attached down here. And remember now, the people around you without Christ, there's a judgment coming. What was it that Jonah did when he passed through Nineveh? Repent! Hey, three days are coming. The judgment of God is going to fall on this city. Repent! There was judgment to come. The city repented. That's the message. And so Peter says now that the, the, the earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. But I want you to notice now in verse 11. He says, okay, but seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, uh, the elements melting with fervent heat. Brethren, he's talking about dissolving. When God destroys this universe, he's going to dissolve it. It's going to be burnt up. Even the very elements, the, the building blocks of life, if you will, are all going to be dissolved and burnt up and, and completely destroyed. And then we have Revelation chapter 21, which kicks in, the, the new heaven and the new earth, right? So here he says, now seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, notice what he said, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? He said, there's a future judgment, so now I want to talk to you about your present testimony. Because you know that's coming, because you understand that what God said is actually true, and he will in fact judge this world, how are you living your life in this world today? Let's talk about our present testimony. How should we be living today? Do you notice what he said here in this verse, verse 11? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You know, your testimony consists of two parts. First of all, it's your conversation. We know the word conversation. We, we use it today and we say, well, you and I are going to have a conversation. But obviously that's not the Bible word. The word conversation, it means your manner of life, the way you're living your life. And Peter defines it as holy. Well, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation? In other words, holy is not an optional extra. It's what God expects of our life as believers. Uh, the way you're living your life, uh, the way you're conducting yourself in this life, it matters to God. And he's saying, I want you to understand that your testimony matters to me and I want it to be holy. Now, brethren, in the power of our flesh, the energy of our flesh, we cannot live a holy life. It is not within us to live right. But thank, thank the Lord that the moment I got saved, and if you got saved, this happened to you, without you even being aware of it, you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Ghost resides inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul said. His job is to lead and to guide you into all truth. His job is to convince you and convict you and bring things back to your remembrance whatsoever the Lord has spoken to us. You understand the, the power and the, the wonder of having God in us by virtue of the new birth. That's the only way to live a holy life. Yielded and submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. How's your testimony in the world today? Uh, what do your neighbors think about you? What do your friends and what does your family think about you? If somebody were to talk to your boss, what would they say about your work ethic and conduct? If somebody were to talk uh, 
to a family member about your character? What would it be like? I realize none of us are perfect, but should we not strive for that? Should we not strive to be holy? Now, Peter says, I, I want you to understand there's a future judgment coming to this world, and the lost around you are going to be judged by God. And though they may not be here alive at the time of that great judgment, they will face judgment one day themselves. And they will stand before God, and if their name is not written in the book of life, they're going to get cast into the lake of fire. You know that to be true, so Christian, how are you living your life? What are you doing in this life? What about your conversation? Is it holy? He said, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation? And then he said, in godliness. You see, your conversation is what the world sees. But godliness is what God sees. That's the character of the inner man. You understand that part of my testimony as a believer is something that only God can see. But the, the inner man, are you with me? The, the inside of Tom matters to God. You may see something that's dressed in a suit and tie and carrying a Bible around, and I'll look like Johnny Bible, and you know, because we can do that in church, can't we? We can show up and we know how to do the handshake. I don't know what it is today. It's the elbow bump or the whatever, but we know how to do it in Baptist circles, right? We know how to greet each other. We know the right words to say, God bless you, brother. I'm praying for you. We, we know all of the vernacular. We know the songs. We know the routine of church, but God knows the heart. And I believe God is looking at our hearts as individuals today and he's requiring godliness on the inside to be like him. He says, what kind of person are you on the inside? There was a time in my life where I was just the biggest flaming hypocrite that ever existed. I was going to church every Sunday, but I knew how to do church. But on the inside, I was a rebel. When nobody was around and nobody could see, then I was doing things that, that my parents certainly didn't know about and a lot of my friends certainly didn't know about, but God knew about it. There was no godliness in me. And Peter is saying, okay, because you know the judgment's coming, let's talk about your present testimony. God knows the intent of your heart and he wants you to live a holy conversation, a godly life. That's what he wants. Now, in the book of John, Jesus said this. He said, now, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But guys, listen, Jesus isn't here anymore. Uh, some 2,000 years ago, he ascended up. There were a bunch of guys standing around on a hillside watching him go up. Remember that? Acts chapter 1. Hey, why are you standing here gazing? He, he's not here. Oh, he's coming back one day, but he's not here anymore. And Jesus said to his disciples, as long as I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. But listen, he's not here anymore. And so he said something different. Oh, now, now you're the light of the world. Uh, there's a difference now because it's, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you and I are supposed to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. He's supposed to be lived out in our life. My present testimony matters. It, it matters that people watch how I live my life. When, when uh, my kids were little, we'd be driving down the road and, you know, the Sydney summers are maybe not quite as brutal as up here, I don't know, but they're still hot. And there were, you know, there were days you'd have the windows down and you'd be driving down. The kids want to listen to some music, you know, whatever it was, Disney, and don't judge me, I don't know, something, right? And um, there were times where they'd just get excited, they want to turn it up. And we'd be parked at a stoplight and there'd be somebody next to us. Do you know where I'm going with this? And the speakers in the modern cars today are great, aren't they? Not like back when we were kids, but now you can hear the boom, you know. And even, even if it's a Disney song or whatever, you know, pick it, the wilds, whatever you want to say. But um, we always just kind of turn it down. You know why? 
because we're, we're trying to teach our kids that we need to make sure that we're a good testimony to people, even if it's just the guy in the car next to us. Because what if he came and visited church and he saw me standing up to preach and he'd just been parked next to, you understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying that the little things in life matter to the Lord. And we ought to just be aware of our life and aware that our life influences other people. There may come a day when somebody walks up to you and says, hey, you don't know me, but I was watching you. And I saw something different in you, and I wanted what you had, and I've gotten saved. And it, it could be in a large part to your testimony. But brethren, the opposite of that could be true. That you were hindering somebody from coming to Christ because your testimony wasn't right. It just matters to the Lord. So he's saying this, uh, in light of the fact that there's a future judgment coming to this world, then Peter is saying, I, I want you to consider this now. Consider the fact that there are lost people that are going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. So God says, it matters to me how you're living your life. Not just how you are on the outside, but the character of the inner man. Who you are in the sight of God. That part of you that only God can see. I think that's why when God described David, he said, he's a man after my own Something only I can see, God says. You know how he, he defined David? You know how old David was when he said that? He's just a young guy. Uh, we don't know how old he was when he was just the shepherd boy, but I mean, he was probably a teenager or whatever. That sweet psalmist of Israel, that boy who sat out on the hillside and watched his dad's sheep and just loved on God, just something God saw inside of David, it mattered to God, didn't it? You know what? Our life matters to him the same way. Your present testimony matters to the Lord. And so Peter says this in verse 11. Look at it. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for a new heaven, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter's saying, okay, you know the plan of God. You know what's coming down the road. And you're living by faith in what God said is going to happen. So he says, okay, you're, you're living a godly life and you're anticipating the fulfillment of what God said is going to happen in this world. Your present testimony. But would you notice with me what he says next? Verse 14, wherefore, beloved. Hey, as a result of what I've just said, as a result of the fact that God's going to judge the world. And as a result of the fact that he says, your life matters. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, by faith, believing the truth of what God said in the word of God, be diligent, verse 14, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. I want you to see, God says, I want you to have that, what I just call it a confident introduction. Notice what he says here. Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I was six years old when I got saved. I was raised in a Christian home. We went to a Baptist church. We had never heard of an independent Baptist church. It just didn't exist in, in Montana where I, was, where I was being raised. But then, you know, I was six years old and my parents led me to Christ. It was uh, at the end of a, like a holiday Bible club, Monday to Friday. I went down every week or every day of the week. So actually, I got saved five times. But then uh, at, at the end of it all, I really got a good dose of it, all right? I'm, and I got saved. Um, but I haven't met Jesus yet. Oh, I've met him with the eye of faith, haven't you? Has there been a time where you put your faith in the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ? All right, so you got saved, but you haven't met him yet. Oh, there's going to come a day, brethren, when you and I are going to have an introduction. And you're only ever introduced once. Once. 
There's a couple of you that said hello to me in the last couple of weeks, and I guess we had an introduction years ago, but I have completely forgotten your faces. You know, you're skinnier and better looking than you were back then. That's why, right? But you and I, we're going to meet Jesus face to face, and it's only ever going to happen one time for the first time. Let's talk about this confident introduction for just a minute. I want you to keep your finger here. We're coming right back to it. But turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One of the, uh, the wonderful and blessed promises of Scripture here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to see it. Because sometimes we hear it in church, but we need to see it with our own eyes again. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. and Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That word prevent means to go before. So if we're alive and we remain when the Lord comes back, we're not going to go before those that have already died. That's what he says. For the Lord himself, verse 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that great? Come on, what a great promise. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It is a comfort when you stop and think about it. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. Brethren, if you're saved, it's the promise of God. Jesus is coming back. And though he has delayed his coming, he has an intent behind it, which we'll look at in just a moment. But the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. You see, one day we're going to have an introduction. And at the day of that introduction, brethren, I'm going to have to give account for my life. You know, I'm not going to give account for the Tom that I was before I got saved. But I will give an account for the man I am since the day I got saved. If you were to search the scriptures, you'd find there's several times throughout the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, where God speaks very particularly about this and is called the judgment seat of Christ. I have a personal accountability with God. Hey, hear me tonight. If you've been born again, you have a personal accountability with your Heavenly Father. You are personally accountable for your life. In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says in verse number 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved here on this Sunday night, then that's part, that's your life. It's coming to you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. What I've done with my time, what I've done with my gifts, what I've done with my talents and my money, what I've done with the opportunities that God laid in front of me, I will give account for my life. And I want to be confident when I stand before the Lord. You know, I believe it's actually possible for you and I to be able to leave this life having a confidence to stand before God. I don't mean arrogance and, and pride, not at all. But do you remember what Paul said? Paul said, I'm, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. Paul didn't say I'm sinless. Now I've lived perfectly. He did say I've lived in all good conscience before God and men. I fought a good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. There's something waiting for me on the other side, Paul said. You understand, he was facing the judgment with confidence. 
And I believe the Lord put that in there for you and I, that we'd be encouraged. Because sometimes the truth of it is, we look at a guy like Paul and we say, well, yeah, but, you know, he saw the resurrected Christ. Yeah, yeah, you know, but we, we see what God did in this great apostle Paul. And we see all of his sacrifice and the working of God in his life and how he wrote so much in the New Testament. Sometimes we say, well, I could never measure up to that because, you know, that was Paul. But you understand, he was a man just like you and I. Just like Elijah, who was subject to the same passions as we are. A human being in whom God worked. Paul said, I'm ready to be offered. You're going to stand before God. Hey, listen, if you're saved, you're going to stand before God. You better evaluate that in your life. I just speak as a friend not knowing your life and certainly not passing judgment because I don't know anything about your life. But I know this, you, just like I will, we will give account before Jesus Christ. We will stand and give an account. And God said there's going to be a fire there and our works are going to go through it. There's some that are going to abide and there's some that are going to suffer loss. And the gold and the silver and the precious stones, those are things that are found beneath the surface that can't be seen. The wood, hay, and stubble, that which is on the surface that can be seen. The Lord is saying, listen, the things of your life are going to pass through the fire and some will abide and some will burn. So be diligent in how you live in your life. We're talking about living an intentional life for Jesus Christ. This is not an aimless drifting for you and I as children of God. No, it's very intentional. We wake up in the morning and we say, okay, Lord, I'm checking in for duty. I'm laying myself down upon the altar again. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. He doesn't want a dead you. He wants a living you that's yielded to him. God, use me today in all my imperfections and in my fears, in my weaknesses, in my inconsistencies. God, I yield myself to you today, whatever it is. You don't have to be called to the ministry. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be a, you know, a gregarious, outgoing extrovert. It doesn't have to be your personality. God's not interested in your personality. He's interested in your heart. And he'll use you the way that he fashioned you. Do you believe that? He'll use you the way that he fashioned you. But your job is to yield to him. And remember, every single day, I'm going to give an account for my life. It ought to be sobering, isn't it? It's sobering. I believe it ought to be. So Peter was saying here, if you go back to this chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, would you notice again in verse number 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, because you know the judgment of God, and, and because you understand that God's going to recreate this whole mess, and He's going to fix the sin problem, because you understand now that the lost are on their way to an eternity of suffering without Christ, be diligent, he says, that ye may be found of Him in peace, Without spot and blameless. Hey, be diligent until you see Jesus. I want to have a confident introduction. Oh, I understand I'll cast those crowns down before him. I understand that anything that he might give me because he's a good and just God, he said that he would reward us for our service. We understand the truth of that. But I understand that I'll give it all back to him. But I don't want to stand there and say I'm ashamed of the way I lived my life. Oh, for sure there'll be things in our heart and mind at that time where we'll look back at this earthly life and say, oh, I squandered and I wasted the, some of the time and some of the resources. We sing that song. By and by when I look on his face, I wish I'd given him more. I think all of us will feel that way to some extent. I'm just saying to you as believers that it ought not to be the pattern of our life down here where we squander and waste all that we have on ourselves. 
It ought not to be the pattern of our life. We ought to realize, okay, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. But understand, we're just stewards of this whole thing, including the body we're, we're living in here. And we should say, God, just use what I have and who I am. John said it this way. Let me read what he said. And now, little children, abide in him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, we understand the rapture and, you know, the, the, the seizing by force, the catching away. And we're looking forward to that time, aren't we? I hope you're looking forward to it. Looking forward to the time when I, I get out of here. Okay, I'm happy to live my life, but I'm happier to see Jesus, right? But what I want you to see is that John was saying this. We can have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So if you knew that the rapture was coming tomorrow, six o'clock tomorrow night, Jesus was coming back. If you knew you had less than 24 hours, how different would the next day be? How much time would you and I be spending sleeping that time away? I wonder how much time you and I would, would spend uh, in a quiet place pouring out our heart and soul and getting our life clean before God. I wonder how much time we'd be on the phone or in a car driving to this place and that place to those people that we knew we should have shared Christ with and the, the relationship that was broken that we knew we should have gotten fixed but we were too proud and we were too stubborn and full of ourselves and full of unforgiveness and now we know that it's almost too late and I want to get that thing fixed before it's too late. I wonder how different our life would be if we knew Jesus would come back tomorrow. And John was saying, little children, abide in him. Hey, walk closely with Jesus Christ. It matters, he's saying, abide in him, that when he shall appear, oh, we may be confident not to be ashamed. Do you remember when Jesus was standing in Pilate's hall? You kind of go back in your mind's eye to that story and remember as he stood there and he was being accused and there was the conversations going on and, and it wasn't far away in the same room that there was just a little fire, maybe a picture of some sort of a little fire there and there's Peter and some other people that were warming their hands. Do you remember the story? The third time somebody looked at Peter and said, now, surely you're with him because you're a Galilean and your speech, it's betraying you. That, you gotta be with him and Peter began to curse and to swear. He said, I don't know who he is. Do you remember the story? In one of the Gospels, the Bible pulls the curtain back and shows us something. It says that Jesus turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, I have no way of proving this, but I've oftentimes wondered if that's kind of the way it's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. I wonder how much the Lord's going to have to say to us. Or if we'll just look into the eyes of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and we'll still see the print of the nails and we'll be confronted with the glorified and resurrected Son of God who gave his life for us and won't we have per perfect knowledge at that time? Oh, to see the failure of our life as we gaze into the eye of the Savior. Maybe there will be rebuke most probably there will be to some extent. But I'll tell you this, Peter is saying in this, if you want to have a confident introduction with Jesus Christ, you better be diligent. Hey, you better be intentional about your life. You better wake up tomorrow morning as a child of God and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to live a life that's holy and right before you. And God, I'm going to get into the word of God. I'm done with the excuses. 
I'm done with saying, well, life's too busy and I'm too tired and I didn't sleep well last night and I got to get up early and go to work. God, I'm done with the excuses. We've got a lot of time for everything else in life. Uh, God, I'm just going to make sure that the things of my life are, are shored up and, and stabilized and I'm tethered strongly to you today. I want to live my life intentionally. Intentionally. Now let's get to the crux of the matter. That was the introduction. I'll give you a five-minute conclusion. All right, here it is. Look at verse 14 again as we read a bit of the context. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according unto the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. That means they wrestle with them as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Let me very briefly talk to you tonight about the intentional delay of God. You may have wondered this. Maybe you've heard somebody say this, but you know the question would be like this. Well, why are we still here? I don't mean in church. You know, I realize it's about to close, but why are we still here? If you were to turn on the news in the last three or four days, you'd see the absolute mess that's going on over in Israel and the Middle East. You'd see the, the wars that are rekindling. They've never really gone out anywhere in the world, but you'll see that the world is indeed waxing worse and worse. Oh, you'll see things that are happening in our country that, that even in my generation, as old as I am, I would have never thought as a child that we would be talking about and having to deal with such issues that are now mainstream in Australian culture. And we look at this world and we say, it is an absolute travesty. Why are we still here? Why hasn't the Lord just gotten us out of this mess? And Peter said this. I want you to account. You see in verse 15? Hey, here's the heart of the matter. He said, I want you to take into consideration. That word account, it means take into consideration. Hey, listen, consider this with me. Peter's saying this, and don't forget this. Judgment's coming to this world. And all that are lost and have rejected the gospel story are going to spend an eternity in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Forever being punished by the second death. But God already said in this chapter that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter says, the judgment's coming and your life matters. How you're living your life matters to God. Your testimony is important to the world. It's important to God. Because there's going to come a day when your eyes will close in death. And you as a child of God will stand before your creator and you will give an account for your life. So, until that day, here's what you need to consider. To account that the reason God is long-suffering is because he wants people to get saved. He says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why hasn't the Lord come back yet? It's very simple. He still wants men to be saved. Hey, he's willing to put up with the mess of this world for a little while longer. He's willing to put up with the rebellion of humanity at a deeper level for just a little while longer. Hey, and one day the mercy will run out. We know that to be true. One day there is no more mercy. One day it's nothing but the iron fist of God. But not today, not yet. And while we still have life, and while we still have breath, and while we have a tendency to look at our life and, and complain about the circumstances of our life, we should never forget the reason that you and I are still breathing. Because God still wants the world 
to hear the gospel and be saved. What a merciful God we serve. So now this is our responsibility. You know, the reason that we're still here is not so that we can say, well, I think I'm going to move to such and such a place and buy land and build a house and I think that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And James says, no, you don't even know what your life is. It's just a vapor. That's not why you're here. You're here to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. You're here to evangelize the world. That was still the commission given by our commander-in-chief. Our last marching order is still in effect today. It hasn't changed. And we need to account to consider that the reason we're here is because God still wants the world to get saved. It kind of goes back to what we talked about this morning. We have a job to do. And this is tonight meant to be an encouragement to all of us that we would consider our life, what we're doing with it, how we're living it, how it's being uh, lived for the honor and glory of God or for the, the desire of yourself. Consider living an intentional life for Jesus Christ. That's the challenge for the week. May God help us to do it. Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures tonight and thank you for the joy that we have in just opening the Bible, being encouraged and, and challenged and reminded. They're all so necessary for life and I pray that we would consider these truths tonight and if there's some adjustments we need to make in our life, well, God, that we would just have the courage to do it. Lord, there may be somebody here tonight and they're just... Uh, sliding away in their relationship with you, and they know it. They know their heart's not right. They know they've gotten involved with things they shouldn't be involved in. May tonight your Holy Spirit have arrested them, gotten their attention. I pray there'd be real change that can only come because of you, but real change, Lord. There needs to be repentance in the people of God. Lord, for some of us, it may just be a reminder of things that are most important how we're living and what we're giving our life and attention and money to. And maybe, just maybe, there's a man, a young man here that you might tap on the shoulder and say, I want you to get involved in this work to evangelize the world. Oh God, we ask that you'd raise up preachers from our midst. But Father, if there's one here tonight that's lost, without Christ, they may be a church member, they may be somebody who's attending here, maybe they're just visiting today but they need Jesus to save them from their sins. Lord, we pray for them tonight and ask, Lord, that by faith they would turn to Jesus Christ, that they would receive the forgiveness that only God can offer them for their sin, that they would be born again. Lord, I pray that you do a work in the hearts of all your people tonight for the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name.